0: Welcome FEI Engage subscribers. My name's Olivia Berkman, and today's episode is a conversation with Kevin McBride. Since recording this episode, and after over 20 years at Intel, Kevin has accepted a new position at ServiceNow. Kevin begins his role as Senior Vice President, Corporate Controller, and Chief Accounting Officer in November of 2021. Please enjoy the conversation. Now, it is FAI's pleasure to introduce Olivia Bergman. Thank you, Shivani. Hi everyone, welcome to How I Got Here. I'm Olivia Berkman, Managing Editor of FEI Daily. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin McBride, as Shivani mentioned, Vice President of Finance and Corporate Controller and Principal Accounting Officer at Intel Corporation. Kevin is responsible for global accounting, financial services, and financial reporting. Initially hired at Intel in 2000 as an accounting policy manager, Kevin subsequently served a two-year fellowship at the FASB, where he was responsible for researching, resolving, and consulting on implementation and emerging practice problems. Kevin also serves as the chair of FEI's board of directors. Before we speak to Kevin, I'd also like to share that we'll be launching FEI Engage, a new content subscription program for undergraduate, graduate, and early career finance and accounting students and professionals. Subscribers will have the opportunity to connect with FEI members and industry leaders through our Mentor Match program, connect with each other within the Engage community through a private online networking platform, and have access to these How I Got Here live Q&As. We're very, very excited about FEI Engage. And if you'd like to learn more, you can email me at feiengage at executives.org. Before I introduce Kevin, I'd also like to share that the next speaker in this series is EY America's ESG Markets Leader, Senior Partner, Health Sciences and Wellness at EY Orlin, Boston. That's going to be on October 11th. You can register for that session at financialexecutives.org slash events. And now I would like to introduce Kevin. Kevin, thanks for joining me.
1: Hey Olivia, great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a real privilege. And I got to say, I love that headset that you're, <laughs> you're wearing in the microphone. I wish I looked as official as you do.
0: <laughs> I know it's, I said, it's a little dorky, but it, it, the quality of the sound is better. So I'm sticking with it. Uh, Kevin, can you start by sharing your background and kind of your journey to Intel?
1: Yeah, you bet. So um, I'll just kind of start with the beginning of my career. I had intended to go into mathematics. I wanted to be a math teacher. Um, my first uh, semester I took math, I uh, did horrible. Um, and then I picked up the syllabus and took a look at what I should do. <clears throat> Opened it up. Uh, first thing on the list is accounting. So I took an accounting course. And I guess the rest is kind of kind of history. But that, that's honestly how I got into accounting. It's just kind of a random pick, but, um, But from there, you know, went through the courses, went to Oregon State, moved up to Oregon. I've been in Oregon since uh, since '91. Just absolutely loved it up here, and started my career at KPMG in 1993. Um, You know, from there, I went back and forth uh, in industry. I worked for a couple different companies. One was a manufacturer, high tech. Uh, Then I went back. That didn't turn out um, because their their growth plans didn't come to fruition. So I went back to KPMG for a few years, uh, worked in the high-tech practice, and then left again for a software company, pre-IPO. So I went through that process, which was pretty exciting. Um, And again, it didn't didn't turn out to be the best fit for me. Um, And I got recruited into Intel, So, which was kind of in the first, I'd say, seven years of my career, a little bit of back and forth between industry and public accounting, all really in the high-tech space. So kind of landing out at Intel seemed to make quite a bit of sense relative to to my background over the first few years.
0: That's great, thank you. And by the way, I totally see you as a teacher. I'm sure you've heard that before, but I could totally, <laughs> I totally get uh, how you might have ended up in that uh, in wow. that alternate universe. That movie, Sliding Doors, that was your your sliding yeah, doors no, career.
1: Yeah, just to me of like first of all, nine months a year out of the year, you know, and being in it, you know, the, the learning environment and having the energy of a class just seemed to be like the the right thing and, and a great lifestyle, style. having the summers off. It just didn't turn out that way. <laughs> and not to say that there isn't some, uh, you know, opportunity to do that in the future. Definitely. I did uh, uh, evening teaching at Portland State. which was a blast so maybe that's that's still in my future
0: Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit more about your transition from kpmg to i think the company you told me was cascade microtech right and you said that they were pre-ipo tell us about that transition and and kind of how you made that decision and um and if you don't mind maybe talking about why you said the fit wasn't great for you so maybe expand on that a little bit more uh if, if you could
1: yeah, sure. Let me let me actually do because I went, like I said, I started KPMG, went to Cascade, went back to KPMG, went to Krillian, and then went to Intel. And all that happened in, you know, four year span. Um uh, for me i got married shortly after joining kpmg about a, uh, i guess about a year year and a half after that and then we had a kid and the grind from public accounting was quite a bit cuz i was like i said i was in high tech practice doing debt offerings ipo and we had the long hours and we had a new um, a new baby and that that lifestyle really wasn't, it didn't feel right. Um, and so I left looking for a change and and cascade was a client of mine and it, it looked like a great opportunity. The company was profitable. It was growing and they had aspirations to go public. Um, and they were also in the midst of an acquisition. Uh, this was 1990, I think it was six. Um, market cooled down, IPO market cooled off, the acquisition didn't go through and and um, the controller of the company, Marie Akeley who's still a friend of mine and a mentor um, you know we were having a conversation about okay what what's happening and how does this fit with my career she just coached me to go back to KPMG which was you know phenomenal coaching and actually that type of uh, orientation to people has actually left a really strong impression to me to make sure that as um, coaching and developing people through their career, that I'm always matching them with their their aspiration. And that's exactly what Marie did for me. Uh, when I went back to KPMG, then I uh, was there about a year, became manager and, and stayed another two after that um, before I went to uh, Carillion. And, and when I talk about Crillon not being a fit—that—that that was the one I was relating to. You know, I—I I made the jump really on money, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, it was also pre-IPO. It was a client of mine. I thought the company had, um, you know, great opportunity. They were—they had a strong product offering, uh, good growth. Um, but the diligence, you know, I just didn't quite understand at the time, how the company really worked on the background, even though I had a good understanding of the products and the accounting had gone through the IPO, you know, the inner workings of the company weren't that familiar to me. And I actually didn't go into accounting when I went there. I went to sales operations. So it was a totally different gig. Um, and the fit was really about priority uh, culture. And for me, um, it, it just didn't, it just didn't feel like a good fit. So, um, I got, I was pretty lucky a guy that I'd worked for at KPMG who went to the national office and then went to the FASB. was coming back to Portland. Um, and he decided rather than go be a partner at, at KPMG, he, he went to Intel. And so when he landed at Intel to build the accounting policy group, um, you know, as soon as he got there, he gave me a call and at that time, you know, I had a young family. I wasn't feeling that great at the company I was at. I knew him really well. Um, and so he was building that technical group. So it just seemed like a, a much better fit for me. And and actually, the, the thing that I learned through the, the whole cascade and Carillion was, number one, I shouldn't make a decision on money. That was the, the absolutely wrong thing. It was hard not to do it, but as I, as I got prepared to to make the change, I came up with kind of a list of things that I, I think about and I still think about today in relation to, it is the job I'm doing a good fit. And and there's five things for me. One is, um, you know, the culture, the ethics of a company. that That is critically important to me that I'm working for a company that has good values and those values permeate the organization. You know, product leadership or service, w- whatever that, that company is, but leadership products. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to work for a company that that's winning. Um, that's at the top of their game. And, and, and it's okay the company you know look technology is marked with innovation and disruption. So you're not always it's not always winning and you go through the ups and the downs, but that 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 fight for being at the top is a, is a great place uh, to work when you' when you're in that battle. Um, you know, another one of the priorities was growth that I can personally grow and contribute so that in other words there's doors that are going to open up presuming that i contribute and i'm success, successful in my contributions um another one is strong balance sheet and i want to know i get i can get paid <laughs> and the final one is is actually the compensation um and that it's fair compensation that it's um you know it's in keeping with the market I, I, it doesn't need to be the best. I certainly don't want it to be the worst, but it has to make sense in relation to the other fours and, and in relation to to the market. So for me, that that's really what the back and forth taught me is that, you know, don't make a jump for, um, don't make a jump for the money, don't make the jump for the title, make a jump or the move when it fits. And so for me, that When I came to Intel, I had I had that learning. I had those boxes, and you know, I got to meet a ton of people, um, and people that I had worked with at KPMG that were out at Intel, and so I knew what they were like. And so, the, from a culture standpoint, and they're building a high power team. I was pretty excited to do that, and I knew that doing that well would open the doors. You know, an Intel product leader, so anyway, strong balance sheet, you just checked all the boxes. And so for me, when I made the move to Intel, it was a, you know, it was a high confidence move, and it was pretty exciting for me. So that, so that's what got me there from, you know, all the hops along the way.
0: I love that, and <clears throat> I think it's. I guess one, My first question is. Were there opportunities that were coming your way that didn't fit with those five things?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. There was, um, there were, um, at the time, a couple of other opportunities, but Intel looked the best. And then, you know, I've been working 21 years and, uh, you know, and, and I've been fortunate. I work for, you know, a Fortune 50 company. I'm a part of that Um, And and that means that I've got a platform and an access and network. And there are, you know, I'm fortunate enough that on occasion someone sends me a note and they're interested in, in, you know, in interviewing or, or whatever. And like I said, I've been at Intel 21 years. So the bar that Intel against those five things, the bar that Intel sets is really high. And it's hard for other companies to compete with, you know, the the value that, that Intel historically has um, afforded me to do the job I want to do for fair pay, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's just been it's been a good fit. And then, like I said, it's a bar that other companies would have to cross in order for me to to take the move, which is a good place to be. I mean, I feel it's it's a it's really a blessing.
0: And I'd love to get like a little more specific about those five things. How? What did it look like for you to build that list? Like, did you sit down and go, "All right, let me really boil it down to five things." How did you make the list? how How could other people go about making their list? So yeah, I, I just think I'll it's a, I think it's such a amazing way to make a decision.
1: Yeah, Olivia, that's a great question, and it's it, it's a long time ago. Um, did I even write it down? I I know what triggered it. What absolutely triggered it is the the lack of fit. Um, with, with Carillion and, you know, that, that's, that's a personal thing, right? And, and to your point, how do people make the list? What's important to them? What are their priorities? Um, everyone's going to have something a little different. My five work for me very well, and we might share three out of five. That's fine. Just know what your five are. For me, what, what, what prompted it is I felt like I made a move. I knew I made a move for pay. I, I knew it and I knew that it, the culture wasn't a good fit. So then culture became like number one and pay number five. It, and I forced it. And I, and I, it, and it, it was, it was really important to me that I, I stabilize. Right. And I felt like if I get this right, if I get it about right, um, I have a better chance really settling in with a company and having that, um, that journey where I'm where I'm connected to the people, I'm connected to the company, the product, technology, the industry, and then I can go go about learning. And so so what prompted that thought process, whether I sit sat down, wrote it down, I don't know, but I know I've had the five for for the 21 years. The I think Intel may have filled out um, the balance sheet side of it for me. They they certainly, as I was going through the interview process, I knew the pay was competitive. It was, um, and I knew the culture was a good fit. So I had those two things nailed down. And then as I thought about like the opportunities, I hadn't worked for a company, even in my audit experience where it had the breadth of opportunities. And so as I looked at that, that became another thing that was pretty clear to me. And in fact, when when I joined Intel in policy, I actually wanted to go into treasury. And and so my thought process here was, and this is why it's one of the five, the the career opportunities, the doors. I felt like if I did a really good job there, met the people, supported the team, that it would open a door for me. And then I could take that move from technical accounting into treasury and then, you know, do the same. So, uh, So I think through the interview process, what happened is, it became more clear to me that there are other things that I could value in an opportunity. And so that, and it should have been there originally, like what's the pro- progression, what does this opportunity lead to? And it, at Intel coming in as a <clears throat> kind of a, you know, mid, um, you know, mid to senior grade, it the opportunities just seem endless, you know, and even where I sit today and thinking about, uh, folks that, that, that are at that grade and the opportunities for, for a company like Intel, and it could be a Nike, it can be, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be, you know, the, the big companies, the midsize, even small companies. There are people you meet, there's opportunities that you can take advantage of that do open those doors. And so for me, you know, going through that process of interviewing and being purposeful about it's not going to be pay, it's going to be culture, I know that I want, I had the fear of not getting paid at at another company. So I wanted that strong balance sheet because I had a young family. So these things just started adding up and then that became the standard and it's been the standard ever since. So, so I would say a little bit of it was, was going through the process and having a couple moves that didn't feel right. And then learning about, um, you, you know, those opportunities that, that, that I could be exposed to through Intel. And it's not just like I said, it's not just an Intel or a Fortune 50 company, it's many companies. And even they don't have to even have to have large departments. But the people you're working with, it, and it could be a board member, it could be your boss that is well connected, that can help open those other doors for For you in your career, those are the things that I think are really important for 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 me, because I I like to learn, I like to grow, I like to contribute, and so I'm I'm always looking for that opportunity that has that multi dimension to it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like some trial and error for sure. But I can also see how, you know, uh, the money component, you know, as you said, you had a young family. I see how, you know, that could be seductive. Um, so it's uh, you know, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. But uh, I, 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 I just think it's a, a I can't emphasize enough to those who are kind of listening that. um just what a great idea it is to start thinking you don't have to have your five now, but to start thinking about, you know, what didn't work, um, you know, in the past and, and what has worked and, and why did it work and to really take note of that and whether you write it down or, or share it with somebody, talk it through with somebody. I just think it's, um, as I said, it's a great way to make a decision. Uh, and I want to share a question from the audience and, and also encourage everybody to, to submit their questions for Kevin. How assertive were you in terms of your career development internally within the companies you have worked? Or did your career develop more naturally through the quality of work you produced? Perhaps you have some recommendations on being assertive with regards to personal career development.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I would say at times I had to be assertive and at times it was more organic. Um, I certainly did not join Intel to be corporate controller. Um, that, that's clear. And so the, the first couple steps, I think, were a little bit more organic. Um, I'm, and so for me, well, I, I can describe it in a little bit more detail, but I, but I know there are times where I've absolutely been assertive that I want to do this. Um, and that's an important thing to be clear in development conversations with um, your manager, because uh, you, you can't leave you can't leave it to guess, you can't leave it to chance, and and why not be clear on what you're looking to accomplish. And I think that's it's it's a it's it's something you can give to your manager that helps them figure out, you know, what motivates you, how they ought to allocate resources. And I can talk a little bit more about that later, but I would say that for me there are times where yeah, I'm pretty clear about things that I'm interested in doing or places I want to go. Um but I, I, I'm lying if I didn't say some, a lot of it was just organic. So I, did, I joined Intel, worked for John. I mentioned John uh, Hertz. He was the guy that hired me. And he was at a department of professional practice and also did a FASB um, fellowship. You know, And I thought, wow, that was interesting. John, I'd like to do that. And he set it up. I got sponsorship within Intel. He called the FASB, and then I did a fellowship. It was, which was awesome. It opened, you know, a ton of doors. And then John rotated on, and I took his job. So these, so kind of like the first, I'd say, ten years or so, some of that was a little bit purposeful, like I want to do that, and then that opened doors, and it was a little bit more organic. Um, So I'd say it's a mix, but I, I, but I do think that it's it is really important that as you think about um, your career and it doesn't need to be the five or 10, you know, the three, you know, what, what, what motivates you? What excites you? What's it, what's interesting to you? That's, that that's foundational to just to know that and to communicate it. Assertiveness isn't don't let's not put it as it has to be asserted. Let's just be clear on what it is we want to do. And that gives, that gives your manager the opportunity to think through their agenda and how they allocate work to fit with the opportunities, to fit with the way that you want to develop your career. And, and for me, as, as a manager, that's that kind of information is instructive um, because when happy employees make productive employees and, and it's not about me, it's about them. And so how do I ensure that they're waking up every morning. They're excited about what they do. And I and have an ability to allocate opportunities according to people's desires that then opens that, that then excites them and opens the doors they need open in order to go pursue um, their aspirations.
0: Yeah. And, and the word assertive, I'm just thinking about it while you were talking and um You know, we a lot of times we try to reclassify aggressive and and as assertive and and we put a lot of emphasis on drive and asking for what you want and raising your hand. And that is all really important. It doesn't fit with everybody's personality. And um, although I have no doubts that you are somebody who is willing to kind of ask for for an opportunity, I also my, uh, impression of you is that you're a very kind person and I do want to talk about your leadership, um, style later on. But I, I, I think that that's sometimes kind of, we don't give that enough sort of attention, um, when we're talking about leadership and, and, you know, climbing the ranks, I think just being somebody who's trustworthy and likable can get you really far. And, and like I said, there's a lot of emphasis today on ambition and drive and, you know, being assertive and that's all well and good, but I don't know. I just, to me, you're kind of an example of somebody who, uh, can, can be ambitious while also just being very kind and, uh, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm and thank. First of all, thank you. That's, that's, <laughs> very, that's very kind, maybe generous. Um, but it makes me your comments. I'm looking at it from two perspectives. One is the manager perspective or the mm. leader perspective, and the other is the employee perspective. And let me take the the employee perspective first. Is that well, I, there are times I have trouble asking for what I want. There's no question. I have not in my career at Intel asked for a different pay. I've been 21 years, never. uh, And and that's me. That's, and it's, it's not to say that people shouldn't do that or people that work for me that that might be listening shouldn't do that. Um, That's okay. I just not my style. Um, And probably because I have other things that are important to me. And that, that is important, but I've always felt okay. But the assertiveness side of things, it, it, I, I think my style is more, um, when I have a conversation about what I want is, is to put it just in basic terms. This is what I'm doing. I'd like to do this or, and how do you see that happening? Uh, because those are the conversations I want. Now, flipping to the leader or manager side, those are the conversations I want to have with my staff. Uh, and that, that's what they want to have with me. Okay, I want to make it to the next level. Or I want to make a move to get this experience. Um, it's great. And and sometimes those, on, again, from the manager leader side, uh, you have to sometimes provoke that conversation because some people can get pretty comfortable in what they do. Being comfortable is okay, but but stretching the thinking to say, are, are we comfortable just because right now we need that from a life balance standpoint, or what's happening at home? Okay, that's good. Are we just comfortable because we haven't thought about the opportunities? Or so I think it's important to have that dialogue. And, and is if that's not happening because the employee isn't having it with you, it's okay to have it with them to 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 kind of make sure that they're thinking about their opportunities and push a little bit, right. To provoke that conversation. Um, and we, we don't know until we start really having those in depth development conversations of what, what it is they want and what you can do that can help them, you know, achieve those aspirations. So I think this, the assertiveness can, I'm not, I wouldn't do anything you're uncomfortable with at all you know, do with what you're comfortable, but but you shouldn't be uncomfortable saying, these are the things I enjoy. These are the things that I'd like to do more of. Uh, That's a, that's a great conversation. And as a manager, just drawing that out, Um, you know, we're working in a really weird time. I, we haven't, I haven't been in the office since March of last year. And um, it's, it's difficult not to have those connections, not to walk the hall with, you know, the people that I've known and cared for for so long and just, how are you doing? You know, and that might turn into, Hey, let's just sit down and have lunch. Let's get a cup of coffee. And you know, the, the how you doing? turns into the next thing. So, so what I'm suggesting is, is you got to work at it. And as, as managers, it's okay. You, you should have that conversation and you have to be willing to let go. Um, I, I will not keep someone on my team that wants to go pursue something else. It's not again, it's not about me. It's about them being happy and achieving their aspirations. But you have to have the conversation to know where they are today and what and how to help guide them to whatever that aspiration is. So you can play a part as a manager to take the the, the negative conductivity of that assertion uh, out and just be available to an accessible for that conversation to naturally flow. And it takes, and I'm not, by the way, uh, this is easier said than done because we're getting the rush of the moment or someone isn't, you know, your employee hasn't been thinking about it. They're just not feeling a a day, but you got to stick at it. And in particular, in the time, the times we're in a lot of, you know, the great resignation that's going on. um, We've got, Um, a little, a lot more disconnected because of the COVID environment, this can be really powerful conversations to keep the connection strong.
0: Yeah. It sounds like uh, it's, I think it would be fair to say that clarity is very important to you. And I think that requires a lot of self-reflection, which takes work and time, patience with yourself. And so uh, that's something that I feel like I'm, I'm hearing a bit from you. As we've been talking, I have another audience question. How do you get recommendations from a current job slash clients coming from public and moving to industry? How did you know that you wanted to make this is a two parter? How did you know that you wanted to make the move from public to industry besides the hours? You had mentioned that you had a a young child at home and the hours were not going to you said it didn't feel right. Um, But how do you what are some thoughts on on making that move? I know we talked about it a little bit, but what are some recommendations that you have?
1: So let me so let me repeat the question back to make sure that I got it. The first part Mm -hmm. of the question was how do you go get the recommendations necessary for, um, you know, a pr- prospective employer? That was the first part. Right. The second From public part was, moving
0: to industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, then the second part was public moving to in industry. How do you know it's, it's right. I think. And yes, yeah. um, that's a bit the, the first one is I think a little bit easier, um, for, well, it was for me that I made relationships with um, the controllers. In some, depending on the size of the company, sometimes the controller, sometimes the CFO, just depending on large or small company that was auditing. But just the personal relationships. Again, they they've got a job. That 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 controller, that CFO, in industry. That when when I was in public, they've got a job to do. They've got timelines. Um, they've got an audit committee that they're serving. And so, um, so the audit, the timeliness, the quality, the communication was important. And as I did that, I established relationships. And so it wasn't that. And like I said, the two moves I make were, were to clients, So I didn't really, <laughs> didn't need the recommendations since I was pulled in by the clients, which is, this is the nineties. So it's a little bit different today. I get it, but, but I'd also say that, um, that, that you're as you establish those relationships it's not it's not surprising for someone to ask a controller or cfo hey you know would you advocate for me and i think if you know the person well you know whether or not that you're going to get that yes or maybe or whatever but you can just invite that conversation where you feel you have that trust you feel you've got that connection you know I, I i take it as a source of pride when someone asks me for career guide a guidance or a reference it's it's affirming of the relationship we built so just know that people are very comfortable when you when you've worked hard and you've done a good job it, people like to support you and that's a that's a good thing so it's it's don't be afraid of it on the jump uh, or the move from from public to industry um you know, the first one I, I said it was the hours. Uh, but again, it was the second time through. For me, I saw myself as being more of a um, controller or CFO of a, of a Oregon or P- Portland based company. Um, I didn't it, when I was in when when I was was in public, see myself as being corporate controller or CFO of a large company. I was more, because I had audited more um, small to mid-sized companies in you know the Portland area, so I kind of saw myself that way. So I didn't have the aspirations to be a partner. I had more of the aspirations to be you know an industry. And so for me, what I was looking for was something that would expand, um, expand me a little bit. The timing... It was odd. It was 2000. I'd been back for about three years that time. I I was just about up for senior manager and I felt like I had enough. I felt like, and what I mean by enough is I had, you know, i had been through two to three years, um, two years as a manager, gone through that process of planning, signing off, did it again. And I was, had the prospect of doing it. Yeah. The third year. And I felt like I had what I was going to get down And it was for me, it was time to learn something new. And so I think that's very personal. It goes to what are your aspirations? How has your development been? Have you gotten that base that you think you need established to then take the next move? There's also like the market opportunities. And and in 2000, um, you know, this is the dot com boom. And so there were companies, uh, you know, going public. There was a demand. And so as I thought about my skill set and what I had built and the market opportunities, it just I just felt pulled, compelled. And so that that's really how I did it. Um, but you know, you think about the the, the cycles we go through in. In in industry, Um, the ups and downs—you've got, you know, seven through eight, nine, ten down markets where you've got um, more unemployment. Those things can factor in. Where you know you're 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 patient, you you wait for that right opportunity, and you set some shorter-term goals with additional you know development, things that you could learn, people you can meet, things that really challenge you or scare you that you're going to go after while you have that strong base. Those, those are okay. A career is <laughs> a long time, right? We're not going to all strike it rich and retire at 40 like we thought we were when we were 20. <laughs> so, you know, it's okay to be patient, take your time. And, and you know, while we, you know, people ask, what are your five, 10-year goal? It's okay at times to just set some, some shorter-term goals while you're patiently waiting for the best opportunity to come across.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I want to get to, um, you know, your, your time at, at Intel. Uh, but first I want to ask you about your fellowship at the FASB. Can Uh, you, um, kind of paint a picture of the accounting finance landscape at that time? And a little bit about that experience. Like how did it, how did it happen? And, and what was it like?
1: Well, it was, um, it happened because I worked for John Hertz and John was at the FASB and he he talked about it and just, I'm like, amazing. Uh, opportunity, being at the FASB, being at the institution that sets the standards, plus the fellowship. And there's a huge plug for the fellowship. What an amazing organization first off and what an amazing group of of people that I was fortunate enough to work with, learn from and then try to emulate as I went through my career. Um, So big plug for, you know, thinking about um, a FASB fellowship, whether it's industry or public. Um, So it came about through John, great organization, but the where things were. So I, I, Think I interviewed in two thousand two, and I joined in two thousand three, and so this is like dot, not dot com. This was the um, the Enron WorldCom debacle, pre kind of pre Sox or Sox was just coming in at the time. So we were going from the nineties, which I kind of think is the Wild West, and then to you know to a, a pretty important change at the FASB with respect to standard setting and. Uh, in the control environment, massive change with with the implementation of SOX, and so we had um, you know at the time just questioning everything with respect to the structure of the accounting literature. Felt like I mean, so you had the basics with um, you know uh, VIES and they kind of they kind of stabilize the whatever, you know or stabilize eliminate the type of uh, games that companies would play with uh, with their entities. Uh, to get things off balance sheet. But, you know, revenue recognition, um, definitional liabilities and equity, financial reporting, non-GAAP metrics, um, accounting for financial instruments. I mean, all those things, um, fair value. I mean, all those things were on the agenda and sucked up a considerable amount of time and actually over the course of, you know, the mid to late 2000s, and I know Red Rack took forever, but it, it, it was started when I was there, was really the turmoil that we saw in in industry um, from the, the Wild West. So it was a pretty exciting time. Um, you know, I was, I was there at a time where the board was really, uh, they were working on, uh, I didn't mention a couple of other things, was business combinations and um, accounting for um, share-based compensation or another couple of other things. But the board at the time was very bent on fair value, um, and that comes through not only through the standard but also business combinations and the way they originally looked at revenue recognition. Uh, Susie Sweater, for those of you that are maybe older and, and followed that project way back when. But it was, it was pretty formative for me. Because they looked at the the board at that time looked at things quite a bit different than they had previously, and so for me it was a really a great opportunity to expand my thinking into the literature and then come back to Intel where SOX had been implemented, and then and then realizing how difficult it is push that type of fair value regime through you know a SOX type control environment. So anyway, long story short, um, it was. Pretty exciting, a lot of change in those years, but, uh, but it, was, it was a great time to, to learn and grow.
0: Another question from the audience. How have you, How you, And oh sorry, no. How did you stand out from many talents in a large company like Intel?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's a great question. Um, cause I am surrounded by talented individuals. Um, I, I was then, I was five, 10 years ago and I am today. Um, you know, I think part of it is, um, part of its relationships, part of it is putting myself out there, um, in, in bigger ways, uh, you know, than, than each, you know, the time before, I think part of it then was establishing being willing to take a risk, willing to, you know, do the FASB rotation, willing to do, um, you know, actually volunteer to go overseas to do never happened, but being, being willing to take the next big challenge, whether it was a transaction, whether that was a rotation. Um, So, so being available or accessible to uh, opportunities and then, I think the other thing, and this isn't unique because again, I said I'm surrounded by talent. Is just being successful in each one of those, um, each one of those endeavors. I think also, I uh, I'm okay to take a, a, a risk. I think maybe that's a little bit, maybe a little bit different. That some of the things might be a little aspirational, and whether I hit it or not, I got down the road and I have a better outcome than if I had just done, done the safe route. And so I think by doing that, that helps helps me stand out or help me in the past stand out, stand out a little bit more because of the progress we, we make on whether it's a process or technical issue or whatever. So just being a little bit more risk-taking, um, taking those tough opportunities and being successful in that. I, and and you know, some of that doesn't sound particularly unique because I think, uh, I think I am surrounded by people that, that do that day in and day out. Um, but just maybe trying to just do it a little bit more in the way that, that I might do it, um, which is uh, uh, maybe more, maybe a little bit more inclusive or maybe a little bit more public might, might make a difference now. I don't know that it. May, I don't know that I was particularly inclusive in the past. I think I, you know, particularly in the early part, I think I, I was okay to just step on toes, get stuff done. Um, you know, I look at that now. Sometimes I, I think I could use a little bit more of that now to stand out a little bit more because you know, large companies can be particularly slow or bureaucratic. But for me now. It's more about developing people, less about, you know, being the one that pushes it through and making sure that I'm supporting my team to do that. So, so standing up today may be a little different. I'm still probably working on defining that, to be really honest, because I am turning much more attention to developing people rather than being the one that gets the accomplishments. And that puts me in a, am I, am I as visible as I was five years ago? Um, you know, am I positioning myself to be opening those doors as opposed to trying to open doors for others? And, I reckon, and there is a there is a relationship between those two, because if I'm not public and I'm not getting the access, it's then hard for me to do the, those things that I need to do to support my team. So anyway, a long 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 winded answer. But I think it's um, you know a little bit situational. I know putting myself out there was an important part of that, having the success and then, then changing it as I progress in my career to something that's a little bit different that helps the people that, that work for me to get their next opportunity.
0: And you've been at Intel 21 years, you said. Yeah, How have yeah. you kind of <clears throat> kept it interesting. And, you know, the way that we talk of that cringy way that we talk about marriage, like, how do you keep it fresh? Like, how do you keep, you know, <laughs> how do you keep it fresh at, at Intel after all, all that time?
1: Fortunately, I mean, fortunately, Intel's kept it fresh. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, in the early years, it was the rotation. And I think as it got into um into the last eight decade, it's more been just business. Um, whether that's large M and whether that's restructurings, whether that's um, transactions, change in strategy, change change in segmentation, changes in the literature, changes in our benefit program. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. That life is not static; it's dynamic and dynamic. You know, in a technology company, and frankly, we're all technology companies now. Um, with that fast pace with innovation disruption comes change and I think that a lot of the a lot of the things that make it exciting are environmental and just taking advantage of that to you know to help I, but I, I think there's also another part of it which is um, really getting into your agenda right so you yeah you have all this disruption innovation challenge around you, but what is your, you know, what are you coming to work with for your, um, your North star? And so for me, and this is more, I'd say over the last five or six years as I've about five years as I've been corporate controller is just having a really clear agenda. Um, and the thing that keeps it fresh is within what say the agenda before I even get to the agenda is just having a vision mission charter. And then, you know, okay, now what are we going to do to make sure we're filling not just the mission, but the vision? And so we're pushing towards, you know, doing something great within our organization that can benefit all the finance or can benefit the enterprise. So I'd say what keeps it interesting is uh, working for, you know, uh, a great technology company, but also then really setting, um, an ag- you know, an agenda that's based on that vision, that, that really stretches our people, really gives them great d- to development opportunities, um, and moves that needle. And again, I said taking risk and maybe some aspirational. I mean, there's statements that I make in my department meetings about where I want us to be, knowing they're aspirational, knowing they're very difficult to accomplish, but they're headed in the right direction. So, that, so those things that we go for are steps towards that aspirational goal. Now, if we keep doing that and we build that into who we are, we keep it fresh all the time because we're progressing to, in a direction that makes, keeps the job interesting, adds value to the finance organization, and when done right, adds value to the, all, all of the enterprise. So, so um, it's it's two things really. It's it's just the company and the industry, and I think uh, and and I think the other thing is how are you going to approach your work? I mean, all that's going to happen. What are you going to do? What agenda are you going to set? What vision are you going to state for your for your people that then gets them up and excited to go um, come to work every day and add value.
0: As I said much earlier, you're now the chair of FEI's board of directors. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about FEI. Uh, tell us about your connection with FEI. Kind of what's what has FEI's um, influence been on your career, and and when did you get involved with FEI?
1: Yeah. Um, so Jim Campbell a former corporate controller at Intel uh, who's now at Alphabet he joined FEI early 2000s um, and he joined it and, set, and was a part of and still is today a part of the Committee on Corporate Reporting and so when I came back uh, from the FASB and worked for Jim I was his bag carrier I was the alternative for Jim on, um, on CCR for years and so I became part of FEI through supporting Jim and and I just say that the relationships um is amazing. I mean so again another great opportunity to be uh, surrounded by you know the best of the best people who really care about the industry, the profession, uh, their companies, standard setting, the control environment. I mean it 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 so I was fortunate and, again, blessed to, to work for someone that, that thought that that was important enough for us to participate and then just trying to emulate the example that he set. And, and then getting into, um, into the committee. And, again, the, this is put, the putting yourself out there. When RevRec uh, – no, actually, it was before RevRec. It was during the um, – I can't remember the EITF issue – Um, but there was an EITF issue related to, um, uh, it it was, it was an Apple related topic. And I said, I'll take the lead in drafting the comment letter to the FASB, which then helped again, build the relationships And then, you know, which was difficult. It was a really difficult process to to draft that because there's so many different opinions, but it built connections and it built my ability to filter many different opinions into something that the collective whole of about 50 companies could support. And I did that on maybe three or four projects over a four year time. Um, Now we've got fellows at FBI that do that for us and they do a phenomenal job, but back then, that was, that was a volunteer basis. And so um, so so for for me, FEI was a platform to learn and to engage, and it still is today. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to build fantastic relationships over the um, 15, 16 years that have been part of it. Um, and you know and and it's got a great agenda i mean what, what we're trying to do as an organization is advance the profession and make sure that 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 the profession has a positive impact on the business environment but also be you know development and connections for our people so it started with ccr and then the board was an opportunity to pay it back the board is an opportunity to to you know just say thank you and volunteer in a way that that I think I can have and and the board can make a positive impact on the profession. And we're supported by, you know, Andre is just a wonderful leader and the staff is awesome. So it's just, you know, as I've been part of it, um, it's just it's just easy. To volunteer because it's such a great organization um, under wonderful leadership. So, you know, so for me, it just started with the community, and then it's ended with, "Hey, um, how can I help?"
0: Love to hear it. We have a couple other questions um, from the audience that I want to make sure we get to in these last few minutes. Uh, I like this question in your experience during an interview. What is the best way to balance being yourself and showing your differences while also showing you're a knowledgeable and qualified that you're knowledgeable and qualified for the position outside of work-based qualifications? How can you set yourself apart from the rest of the field? I think we all have this thought a little bit uh, when we're interviewing.
1: I start be genuine. Um, and that's the hard, I mean, I'm, tr- I try to do that more and more and more show up as you are, um, number one, uh, because you're interviewing them, they're interviewing you, you got to make sure that there's a good connection. So being genuine, you know, I, and then on the part of, um, to so be yourself, number one, the, the other thing is, um, you know, trying to uh, you're interviewing because you're. They gave you the time because they believe you have the qualifications. I don't know. I think through the questioning, they're providing opportunities for you to demonstrate your thinking, your experience. Um, so there is a bit of a, a sale in there. But first, just being genuine to you know who you are and how those things relate to you as a person. Right? What why is that thing important? I I I don't. I don't think that interview is about necessarily your technical capabilities. I think it's, I think they know that you have that. So be comfortable that you're as qualified as the next person. What they're looking for is fit. Now I might be, there's gonna be, I'm gonna be wrong in five, 10% of the cases with that statement. But I think I'm gonna be right 80, 90% of the time. Um, so, so it's about the fit, it's about the person. You're qualified. Go in there. Be genuine. Um, you know, think, be prepared. Think about your career. Think about why you've done things so you're, you're having a fluid conversation. If you're doing that and you get the job great, you were the right fit. If you didn't get the job great, You, you they were not and you were not a great fit. That's okay because that's going back to the five things. I'm just trying to narrow down the probability of the fit is high. Uh, you'll have your things but just be genuine, know, be confident you're there for a reason. You've got the skills and then have the conversation to see if that's a good fit.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You have to remind yourself you got yourself this far, you know, with your resume. And now, as you said, it's it's kind of a. A dance of yeah. do we do we fit do we not and as you said if it's not a fit it's not a fit it's nothing against you it's it's just not a fit uh, with each other and that's okay and on to the next and that's why again I'm glad that you brought back up your your you know your five things because it's uh as as you yourself need to have your own list you got to remember that the person interviewing you and the company that you're interviewing for has their own list and
1: exactly
0: so it's got to be a match uh the last question that i want to ask how do you build relationships with your key stakeholders such as the audit committee another question from the audience
1: yeah so the audit committee to be an example what's important you know you're you're there to serve the committee they you're there for them to you're there for them to fulfill their their obligation. So, you know, with the audit committee, understand the charter, but any other stakeholder, you got to understand what's important to them. So, and the audit committee could be a perfect example of that. They've got a charter, they've got objectives to fulfill. Your job is to help them fulfill those objectives. And, you know, through the relationship with the audit committee chairs, get a better understanding of what's on top of their list. And fortunately for, um, I'll just use Intel as an example. We've got a phenomenal uh, chair, of the audit committee and Greg Smith and Greg is very clear on um, what's important to him. And in every meeting, we've got a watch list. So I feel through the, the conversation and getting to what's important, we make sure we're keeping those mo- most important issues um, right front and center for him. He's also been clear, you know, no surprises. When these types of things happen, let's make sure I know on a timely basis. So part of that could be trial and error, but part of that is having the conversation and making sure that you're, you're fulfilling that that person's needs. And, and so I, again, I use Greg and I use the, the audit committee as an example, but it's true of any stakeholders. You've got to understand what motivates them, what, what, what what's important to them, and then how you can help I think we maybe spend a little bit too time in our career, what's in it for me, um, as opposed to how can I help? And that orientation of how do I help others um, be successful? And then, you know, in in tagging your success to their success, that's a good way to manage your stakeholders and a great way to manage kind of your career. Because if you're doing that, opening doors, meeting people, probability of success goes up. And I think just the happiness factor can go up as well.
0: Absolutely, and Kevin. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, and I'm sorry if we couldn't get to your questions, uh, audience. They were all great, and I want to thank you all for your participation. And Kevin, of course, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, So many great takeaways, and you know, for me, it's it's really. I I think you gave people on the on the call permission to kind of just go with their gut, listen to their gut, and. If they're feeling like something doesn't feel right, that that's okay, uh, and among many other things. So, thank you so much.
1: Uh, it's an awesome opportunity to be part of the series. So, thank you for having me.